0: One of my favorite healings in the Bible. I've received healing from this scripture, from this, uh, from this account of healing many, many times. There's great principles in here um, that'll just—I mean, there's some principles in here that will just absolutely get you over in uh, in a powerful way. Uh, so let's pick up right here in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. Now, we saw last week that uh, you can get yourself in a mess with sickness through murmuring and complaining. Through murmuring and complaining. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, uh, the adult generation that was in Egypt, when, when God used Moses to take them out of Egypt, the adult generation did not go into the promised land uh, because they murmured against God so much that God uh, said they're stiff-necked, they're hard-headed, they're difficult people. And uh, therefore, he was not going to, um, he, he, therefore, uh, he said, you're not going into the promised land. When you murmur and complain all the time, you block the blessings of God. When you murmur and complain all the time, you open up the door to sickness, disease, death, lack, and poverty, uh, and all of the works of Satan. And if it's one thing that the Israelites were very good at, uh, those that came out of Egypt, if there was one thing that they were good at, they were extremely good at murmuring and complaining. And the reason that they were extremely good at murmuring and complaining is because they had a poverty mindset. Well, what does that have to do with healing? Well, poverty mindset, poverty does not just affect your pocketbook. Poverty will affect your emotional health, your mental health. Your spiritual health, it'll affect poverty. Will affect your social life. You will be, you can be socially pover- have social poverty, which means uh, that you're always whining and crying and complaining, and nobody wants to be around you. Nobody wants to be around you uh, when you when you live in stark poverty. Uh, you become a very negative person. Um, and that negativity will actually suck the life out of you and out of the people around you. And so these people had been in slavery for over 400 years, so that means not only were the adults in slavery, but they grew up in slavery. Their parents were enslaved, their grandparents were enslaved, and at bare minimum, their great-grandparents were enslaved. So this became a family lifestyle issue. And so... Um, one thing, so so, uh, if you've grown up in poverty, and many people have, uh, then you are at risk. You're at higher risk for, for sickness and disease mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, socially. Um, so you're at higher risk because you have the mindset that everything's against you. You have the mindset that you have to carry stress about everything. You have the mindset that um, the devil's out to kill you. The devil's out to take you out. Well, really, that li- you don't even, you're not even aware of the devil. You just think life wants you dead. You just think life wants you dead. And that's what these people believed. So let's look at Numbers 21 here. And uh, we're going to have to deal with some names. And I wish my anointed reader was here to deal with them. But we'll just make our way through. Uh, Numbers 21 and it says, and when King Ared, verse 1, when King Ared the Canaanite, now the Canaanites were not part of the Israelites, the Canaanites were actually the descendants of Cain um, and therefore they were into idolatry, they were into pagan worship, they were against God, Um, but from time to time they would kind of get in on different wars on different sides, they were kind of flippy floppy people. But it says, and when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard um, tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Herod, so here King Arad heard uh, that Israel was coming, that Israel had sent spies into the land, and uh, he decided, uh, we're not having this, we're not having Israel come in, see, They had heard, the Canaanites and all those around in Jordan and all those different areas, they heard that God's people were on the move. And they heard what had happened in Egypt when God's people went on the move. Now, it's amazing to me that the sinners, the pagans, the idolaters, have more faith in God than the believers do. Than the believers do. They have more faith in God. I distinctly remember when i wasn 't living for God, the sinners would often say don 't mess with god don 't mess with his people." Why? Because they knew and they understood that God was with the, with his people, and so this king who was against god he, he had heard that the Israelites were coming against were, were fixing to come into their land. And he didn't want to be overtaken, so he thought in his own wisdom, might, and power that it would be a good idea to take God's people prisoner. And so he did. And it says, Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. Basically, the Israelites, now right now, this is amazing to me. Right now, these Israelites, because their families has been affected. Because their family. There's something about there's something about people in poverty that they get this mentality, I may not have much, I may have some serious poverty in my life, but my fam- and therefore my family is everything, and you don't mess with my family. Because you mess with my family, I'm coming to take you down. Well what's this got to do with healing? Everything. Everything. So when their family got taken prisoner, they turned to God. When their family got taken into captivity, they turned to God. Now this wasn't the captivity of sickness. This was the ca- this was actual physical captivity. And they said, God, they turned to God and they said, God, if you'll deliver these people that have taken our family into captivity, we will utterly destroy their city. Well, now that seems like an o- that seems like an overreach. Uh, but but they understood. Now this is just weird. If you really think this through, this is just weird. The the Israelites understood that the reason that this Canaanite king took the Israelites prisoner, or these family members prisoner, was because they were serving idol gods. And so they said, "We'll go in and we'll destroy their cities." In other words, we'll destroy the idol temples. We'll destroy all that they. All, and we'll destroy their worship. We'll destroy everything that their gods are doing for them. We will utterly destroy them. We're working on it. And, uh, and, uh, we're going to utterly destroy their city. In other words, they had confidence in God. God, you do your part. We'll do our part. We're with you, God, no matter what happens. We'll just do it. We'll handle it. And, uh,. God was like, uh, okay. And so let's look here. He said, um, verse 3, he said, And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. And they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. Well, now that plays a part in some some, some things later on, but we're not going to go there. And then the Israelites, so the Israelites went in. They took uh, they they took out the Canaanites. They destroyed their cities. They got their family back, and now they they're like, "Woo, God! God's on our side. This is very important. God's on our side." Have you ever had a situation where you come up against some things in your life and you call on God and God shows up? Of course you have. Aren't you great and wonderful when God shows up? Of course it is. It's wonderful when God shows up, and we are all, "Woo, Jesus!" Now, we're, not, we're going to see some things that we ourselves do. It says, and they, joined, and they journeyed from Mount Hor uh, by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. Now, so that means they surrounded this land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Wait a minute. They just had a great victory. They just Took out an entire city of the Canaanites. They just got their people out of slavery. But because they were having to travel around, because they were having to go the wrong way around, because it was taking longer than they wanted it to take them to get to the place that God was taking to them, the people became much discouraged because of the path that God was taking them on. Many, many people will get discouraged in the things of God because it's not happening fast enough. We especially... Now, this was in their day where everything took forever. Now, can you imagine how quickly we get discouraged today? How how quickly we get discouraged? So it says this. It says... Now, notice it says... And the soul of the people, the soul, what is the soul? The thoughts, the feelings, and the emotions. They got to thinking about the natural instead of the supernatural God that was leading them. They got to thinking about it's hot in this desert. They got to thinking about uh we've been having to eat manna we've been having to eat quail i'm not sure exactly at what point they were in in their journey right here uh but but they're having to they they're, they got tired of having to pack up the tents every morning and travel a few miles and then having to pack up and then having to put the tents back up they got tired of having to walk behind the animals and herd them along the way they got tired of the day to day it says that the soul of the people was not just a little discouraged, but much discouraged. In other words, the devil was talking to their heads, and they were not dealing with their thoughts. They were, they were much discouraged, and, they, and it says, and here's why they were, were they discouraged because God was nowhere to be found? No. Were they discouraged because God had abandoned them? No. They got discouraged because of the way. Because of how they were having to get there. Uh, because, because things were not progressing at the speed that they wanted it to progress. This is why many people don't receive their healing. is because they want their healing like this. And God said that you would recover. God did not say, in fact, for the believers, for believers, listen, for believers, most of the time, your healing is a recovery, not an instantaneous miracle. Instantaneous miracles are reserved for the unbeliever to bring faith and belief in in the body of Christ, into God. Most of the time, miracles are reserved for the unbeliever. Because miracles are a sign and a wonder. Now, we always believe for a sign and a wonder, but how much do you know that if the doctor said there's no hope and healing comes over time, that's a miracle? Think about it. If healing comes over time, that's a miracle. But we get discouraged as believers, as Christians, because it doesn't come instantly, and then our soul begins to say things like, well... God just, it's not God's will to heal you. Have we seen, we've been on this journey for a while. Have we ever seen one time that God says, no, I like you sick? Have we ever seen one time that says, well, you're just a sinner and you deserve it? No. Have we ever seen God say, well, you was dumb and you went out and you did something stupid and this is the penalty, therefore just be sick? Just be maimed and injured? No, we've never seen that. But the devil will convince you that you deserve it. The devil will convince you that God doesn't love you enough to to cure you. Uh, The devil will convince you uh, that, well, he'll convince you of, well, God put it on you to teach you a lesson. No. God didn't put it on you to teach you a lesson. If anybody put it on you to teach you a lesson, it was the devil. And the lesson that he wants you to learn is that you can't rely on God. And that's not true. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's absolutely a lie. Let's look at verse 5. And it says, and the people spoke against who? God. Was it, did God do anything to deserve them to speak against him? No, he had, they, they just asked him, God, deliver us, give these people into our hands and we'll destroy your city. And he did. And God said, okay, go get them. And God said, go get them. And they went and got them. What if they had taken that same stance and said, God, we know it's our fault that we've been out here in the desert for all these years on what should be an 11-day trip. We understand that it's our fault that we've been murmuring and complaining and fussing. We are the ones that have opened up the doors of the devil and brought all this upon ourselves. God, we're sorry. We repent. We're going to keep our mouth shut. And we thank you for making the journey much shorter than it has been. What do you think would have happened? They wouldn't have been in the desert for 40 years. There's no way they would have been in the desert for 40 years. But instead of that, they speak against God. So often we speak against God when we speak against our healing. We speak against God when we speak against our healing. Well, the doctor said. Well, what did God Did God tell us to say what the doctor said, or did God tell us to say what he said? Well, he says, well... I don't feel any better, so I guess I'm just destined to be sick. Well, I'm just tired all the time. I guess I'm just destined to be tired. Well, everybody in my family died of aneurysm, so I guess I'm just going to go out of here as an aneurysm. Well, everybody in my family dies of cancer, so I guess I'm just destined to get cancer. Primarily, the cancer attacks this area of my body, so that's where the cancer is going to strike me. Come on. The people say this all the time. We were just visiting Michael's family. What was that sickness they tried to put on him? Oh, that was it. We went to the doctor, sat down with the doctor, and the doctor said, "Well, this is what we know now I happen to know I happen to know uh that they have come to find that smokers are are very, very apt to have aneurysms they they the 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 percentage of of aneurysms in smokers versus non-smokers is much, much higher. Um, in fact, we were talking to the cardiologist with mom, and they asked her if she was a smoker, and she said, well, I smoked once upon a time, but I haven't smoked for this many years, and this and that and the other, and I never was a big smoker and what have you. And they said, well, does anybody in your family, had, have any of them had aneurysms or stroke or anything mom said oh yeah there's several aneurysms in our family and the doctor said well how many of the people that had aneurysms were, were smokers and mom said all of them and she said but you're not a smoker no how long has it been since you've been a smoker and mom said i don't know 30 years or something i don't know how long it's been and the doctor said well then i'm not concerned about you having an aneurysm okay mike's mom is a severe smoker michael and 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 robert neither one of them smoke uh, so we're sitting in the we're sitting in the room with the cardiologist or with the with the doctor about the, the vascular surgeon I mean, and and he said this and he said well we do know that uh, when uh, when a when a female uh, when a woman has an aneurysm that that raises the, the percentage chance of the child having an the, the risk of the children having an aneurysm. It tends to be passed from the mothers more predominantly than from the fathers, and uh, I about slapped my husband because he piped up and he said, "Oh yeah, they've already found an aneurysm in me." I said, "No, they didn't," because remember they found one a while back, and then the doctors looked at it and they said, "Well, we're not sure if this is really an aneurysm or just a weird thing in your a weird thing in your vessels." Uh, but whatever it is, it's this this area is completely encased in bones, so it's okay. And I looked at him, and I said, what just came out of your mouth? And he said, honey, I'm so, remember, he was well-trained in negative. He was well-trained in I just looked at him right in front of the doctor. I said, what just came out of your mouth? And he said, I'm sorry, you're right. He said, they think it's an aneurysm, but it's not an aneurysm, and I've got the, I've got the power of God, and that's not going to be an, an issue in my life. And I said, thank you. And uh, so we were later, we we were talking to the brother, and we didn't say anything, but the brother brought it up, or or mom brought it up, his mom brought it up, and Robert said, well, I guess Michael and I are just destined to have an aneurysm. I said, absolutely not in Jesus' name. No, we're not receiving that. That's not how this works. You can have the diseases of the family if you want them. But Michael and I were not receiving that nonsense, and I highly recommend that you don't either. And he just looked at me and went, hmm. Hmm. So, no, we ain't doing that nonsense. No, we ain't doing that nonsense. We ain't doing that. No. Uh uh-uh. uh. Now, I said all of that because how much you know when you start saying what the devil says, you're speaking against God. And that's what they were doing is they were saying what the devil was saying. Because the devil was saying, "Uh, you know where you're trying to get to is only a two-day walk, and you've been out here for 20 years. You're going to die in this desert. And they started saying that. And we're going to die. Oh, gee. Oh, Lord, we're going to die. We're going to die. So verse 5, and the people spake against God and against Moses. They weren't just speaking about God. Because how much you know the devil? Now, you better watch this. You better watch this. Because the devil whispered in your ear, that pastor lied to you. That pastor said that you was healed, and you sure don't feel healed, so you surely aren't healed. That pastor preached the word, and you don't see the word working in your life, so that, pre- so that preacher was wrong. You better watch that. Because if you start cursing the servant of God... That will open the door to your life, to the devil, to sickness and disease. Don't curse the servant of God. Because by cursing God's servant, you're cursing God. Listen, it is a dangerous thing to lie to to the servant of God. Dangerous. Do you hear me? It's a dangerous thing. You know why I'm over here. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous position. I'm not calling them out. I'm helping them to see something. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. Uh, why? Because we represent God. We represent God. And so they began to talk about, talk against God. They talked about Moses. There, therefore, you have brought us, um, up out of, look, look at what he said. Look at what they said. You have brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. He's trying to set them free, and he's over here going, you are trying to get us to die. Now, the devil wraps a lie in a, in a truth. He, he wraps a lie in every truth. You know what Moses was trying to get dead out of their life? The poverty mentality. He was trying to get them to stop living out of their flesh. And out of their mind. And out of their emotions. Well that pastor told me she didn't care about my feelings. They just want me to die. That pastor don't care about me. They don't care about how I feel emotionally. Go back and listen to this morning service. Don't they know that my feelings matter? Listen. Y'all need to pray for the ministers today. Because you know who's sitting in their church? You know who's in, their, who's, in their, who's in their nurseries? You know who's in their children's churches? You know who's in their, in their youth groups right now? Their youth groups right now are made up of the generation of participation trophies. Their young adults are the participation trophies. The young adults in their church, the next generation of the church, are the people that raised up that were told, Now, baby, tell me how you feel, and tell me what I need to do to make it better. Amen. <laughs> okay, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Get over yourself. Come on. Come on. That's the dinner. That's the generation. a generator. Yeah! Well, your feelings are not my responsibility.
1: Your feelings
0: are your responsibility. Your feelings are your responsibility. They ain't my responsibility. Oh my goodness. They said, You brought us out here to die. Look at what he said. For there's no bread. There ain't no pizza out here. There ain't no spaghetti out here. There ain't no hot pockets out here. There ain't no tombstones, you know, pizzas out here. So there ain't no fish out here to eat. We're in the desert. There ain't no fish. There ain't, there ain't, there ain't no barbecue out here. There ain't no bread. There ain't no. There's no cinnamon rolls in the desert, Jesus. There's no donuts in the desert, Jesus. There's no. There's no Dunkin' in the desert, Jesus. There ain't no Starbucks out here either, Jesus. Come on. <laughs> I just saw that somebody, somebody's a Starbucks fan just passed out. <laughs> Why are you messing with my Starbucks? <laughs> but, there, but there's no bread out here. Neither is there any water. There ain't no bread. There ain't no water. No coffee out here, Jesus. Jesus, there ain't no Mountain Dew. There ain't no soda. Jesus, there ain't no. Listen, if you if you are from the south and you go out in that desert, there ain't no sweet tea in this desert, Jesus. Jesus, I just looked around and there is no hummingbird water and nowhere to be found. Like, what are you thinking, Jesus? Oh, Jesus. Oh Jesus. Have you ever gone to your doctor's office and your doctor says now you need to cut out the caffeine? Have you ever gone to the doctor and they've said Did you ever go you ever go to the doctor and they said, Now you're gonna you're gonna have to cut back on your coffee. Have you ever heard I I wonder have you ever heard you're gonna have to stop eating them chips and them potatoes and that rice? You're gonna have to stop eating all them carbs. You know what that is? That's bread? Guess what? Guess what? That's your desert place. That's your desert place. That's your desert place. Uh, you're going you're to have to start making your portions smaller. You're going to have to quit drinking your calories. Come on. You're going ha- to have to start getting, instead of getting a big man's meal, you're going to have to start getting the kid's meal. Guess what? That's a desert place. And that's what they were saying. They were saying what we're accustomed to, what we, what our flesh likes. You know, uh, have, you ever, have you ever heard this? I, you know, I, I, I'm just always out of money. And the Lord says, well, then quit eating out. <laughs> Lord, basically, the Lord just said, there ain't no doctors in the desert. There ain't no doctors in the desert. And they started whining and complaining, whining and complaining. He says, ain't no water either. Look at what he says. He says, and our soul loathes, loath." In other words, we hate this light bread. So now we know what what point they're at in the desert. They're at the point where they're eating manna morning, noon, and night. They're eating light bread morning, noon, and night, and every morning. Have you ever had the, I don't want to go to the grocery store, Jesus. How come we don't have DoorDash? How come I don't have, how come I can't, how come I just can't? Why, why does nobody deliver a pizza way out here? I live 25 miles from town. Why can nobody deliver me a pizza? Come on, I live out there in Joe Brown, I live out, I live out Joe Brown down there in Unica, Unica or Violet, I live out in Hot House, I live over here in Wolf Creek, what's wrong with this town that nobody will deliver me a pizza? I have nothing to eat in this house but, but white bread and bologna. In other words, they was tired. They were tired of the of the light bread. They were tired of the manna. They were tired of what God had provided them. Basically, they went to their kitchen where God had stocked the kitchen for them, and they went, "Ain't nothing to eat." And there's jars of manna in the pantry. Ain't nothing to eat in this kitchen. Ain't nothing in this house to eat. No, there's food to eat. You just don't want it. There's food to eat, you just don't want it. Why? Your flesh is spoiled. Well, I thought this was healing school. It is, it is, it is. And uh, so they got to. So so they were complaining. They said Moses, there ain't no bread out here. There ain't no water out here. We will They just said there ain't no bread, and then they turned. And they said we hate this. We hate this light bread. We hate this white bread. I tell you what, we grew in my house, we grew up on wheat bread. And wheat bread, you know, wheat bread had some substance to it. And wheat bread, when you chewed it, it actually went down. When you ate white bread... It's stuck to the roof of your mouth, and it stuck to your teeth, and it's stuck, you know, you go to smell. I was raised that when you make a sandwich, I still do it to this day. I, my dad, my, my stepdad taught me this. When you make a sandwich, the sandwich is not complete until you smush it real good. Well, you try to do that with white bread, and you're coming back with the bread on your hand. You're like, here's the sandwich, and here's the bread. Like, this don't work, you know. And that's what they were whining about. They were whining about that. You know, they send us kids to the store to get the bread, and they say, and they'd say, "Don't come back without white bread." And you go to the store, and the only thing on the shelf is white bread, and you're like, "I guess we I guess we're getting buns because we can't get the white bread. <laughs> buns will work." <laughs> anyway, so they're whining, they're complaining, they're having a fit. And then the Lord said, You know what, you spoiled little baby? Look at verse six. He said, And the Lord sent fiery serpents amongst the people. And they bit the people, and much people in Israel of Israel died. Now, you'll read this and you'll think, see, God does send God does send evil to you. No. You've got to understand translation. the rules of translation. You've got to understand that the language did not have prepositions like we do. And so really what it says is the Lord, because they were murmuring, because they were complaining, because they were whining, because what God had for them was not good enough, God said, oh, you don't want my provision? Okay, I'll lift my hand and let Satan send you his provision. Now, did Satan come in with food? Did he do a food drop over your house? Deliver pizza delivery, Dunkin' delivery? Like, oh Satan's so good! Look at the goodness of Satan! I saw somebody so stupid selling shirts. I think the shirts were being sold in. I don't. I won't say that because I'm not 100% sure that I'm right. But somebody somewhere was selling shirts that said Satan loves me. Uh, he was the one that sent, he was the one that allowed the fiery serpents to come in. Really, really, let me explain to you what happened. They were traveling through the desert where the fiery serpents, the poisonous snakes, is what it was, where the, per, where the poisonous snakes were aplenteous. And because of the provision of God, God's hand supernaturally caused the snakes to not be active. The snakes were under the rocks, under the ground. They were under. They were. They were. They were basically under the hand of God. And God said, "Serpents, you can't move." Well, when these people were whining and crying and fussing at God, God said, "Oh, you don't like the manna? Oh, you don't like being in the desert? Oh, you think I sent you out here to die? Well, let me just show you what I'm doing for you." And he lifted his hand of protection. He lifted off that, that hypnotism that he had, that, that, that control over those snakes. He lifted his hands, and those snakes came out of everywhere. That's what happened. He lifted his hands, and the snakes just went and did what the snakes do. I don't know if you've ever watched, uh, like, the Animal Planet and things like that. But there's some region, there's some, there's some areas o- along where these people were traveling. Where well, you can stand on a rock and it looks like it's perfectly safe. But then you begin to move across the terrain and you get so far into the terrain and thousands of snakes will come out from everywhere and attack. They hunt in colonies. And so in this area, these, there's these lizards, these iguanas. They're not iguanas, but they're kind of like iguanas. There's these lizards that have to cross this territory to, for their migration. These lizards have to, to make it across this, this area for migration. And so what these lizards will do is these lizards, they'll get up on a rock, and they'll scan, and they'll look. And at some point... They just have to make the decision that they're just going to haul butt from one side of this territory to the other because if they don't get across there fast enough, the snakes will get them and kill them and eat them because these snakes are in colonies. This is the type of environment that these Israelites were in. This is the type of environment that they were in. And they were murmuring and complaining against God, and God said, Okay, you don't want my hand of protection? Let me lift it just a little. Just a little. And here come the snakes. Uh, because, and, and the snakes weren't being, I mean, the snakes weren't, you know, just oh, hunting people. The snakes were just doing what snakes do. You're in my land. You're in my territory. I'm going to do what I do. And so these snakes came out, and the people were there. And so guess what? The snakes bit them. And these snakes were very, very venomous. Very, very venomous. These snakes represent a type and shadow of Satan. That's what they represent as a type and shadow of Satan. In verse six, it says, "And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much and much people of the Israel of Israel died. Many, many, many people died." Verse seven. Therefore, the people came to Moses. All of a sudden, the one that they were complaining against, the one that they were murmuring against, the one that they were going, well, this, type, this preacher person, this preacher man is taking away all, all our fun. This preacher man is fussing at me about how I'm talking and how I'm saying and how I'm living. This preacher person telling me that I can't do whatever my flesh wants to do. He just brought us out here to die. Sound like people you know today? So now all of a sudden, these people that have been complaining, now these people go to Moses. And look at what they do. Look what they do. They go, uh, Moses, we've sinned. Uh, Moses, we've sinned. He's like, you think? <laughs> really? It's so funny to me. People come to the pastor and go, Pastor, I've sinned. And, I, and I just look at them and I go, really? <laughs> What clued you in? Uh, The fact that sickness is running rampant in your life? What clued you in? The fact that you're having financial struggles? What clued you in? The fact that you're under fear, worry, and anxiety? What clued you in? That your flesh is running wild? Now, I'm not being mean. I'm not being mean. We all get into that error. We all get into that mistake. And not every sickness and not every disease and not every financial struggle comes because of sin. I'm not saying that. So don't look at me like you've been baptized in prune juice. I'm just saying that, that, that when people, that what tends to happen is people will come and go, well, I'm in sin when things in their life begin to go so wrong that they can't handle the wrong that's going on anymore. And that's what happened here. What happened here is people were, were getting bitten by serpents, by snakes. They were being poisoned, and they were, and they were dropping like flies, so to speak. And the people as a whole said, Moses, we are in trouble. We have sinned. Now, was it right for them to go to Moses and say, we sinned? Absolutely. 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 Now, at this point, this is Old Testament, so the people had to go to Moses because it was Old Testament and they could not go to God directly. In this day, you don't have to come to your pastor directly. Sometimes you need to come to your pastor so that your pastor can help get your brain in the right position and so they can help you get back reconnected to your spirit. But honestly, if you've got a sin problem in your life, you can go to God by yourself. And that's the wonderful thing about the New Testament. But the people said this: they said, "For we have sinned. Look at what they said: for we have spoken against the Lord and against you." How much you know? That was an intimidating thing. Well, not only did we speak against the Lord, uh, but we've also been talking bad about you behind your back, Moses. How much you know? That's uncomfortable. Again, this is a biblical principle. When you have sinned against somebody, you have an obligation to go repent to that person. You have an obligation to go to them and say, I've been wrong. I've been treating you wrong. I've been talking about you wrong. I, I told you this when I really what this is what was going on. Or I told you that I didn't take something that belongs to you, and I did whatever you did. I was rude, I was ugly, and I shouldn't have been. Uh, How much you know? They had to not only get it right with God, but they had to get it right with the people that they had been wrong to. They had to get it right with not only with not only God, but also with Moses. Well, I thought we were talking about sickness and disease. We are. I'm telling you how sickness and disease comes into your life. I'm, talk, I'm telling you how sickness and disease comes. Notice this started with a thought. Notice all of this started with a thought. All of this started with, I don't, I don't like the way that God's telling me to do things. I don't like the way, I don't like the path that God has me on. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like. I don't like where God's called me. I don't, like God, I don't like where God's placed me. I don't like the job. I don't like the house. I don't like the people that God's placed in my life. I don't, it all started with a thought. It started with a thought, and look at what it escalated to. Look at what it escalated to. He said, for, I've, for we've spoken against the Lord, and we've spoken against thee. Now, Moses, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now here, we don't need to go to the pastor and ask the pastor to pray. Because we're New Testament. But the principle is the same. We can pray and talk to the Lord. And we can say, Lord, I'm sorry that I spoke against you. I'm sorry that I murmured against what you've been calling me to do. I'm sorry that you told me to do this and I refused to do it. We can go directly to God, and we can have a conversation with God directly, and we can repent directly to God, and we can say, Now, God, will you please remove the penalties of my behaviors from me? Now, God will, and now sometimes God will say, Yeah, I'll remove them, but you're going to have to do a few things because God corrects those whom he loves, and you're going to have to work because now you've given Satan... Uh, uh, you've given Satan full access to your life, and depending on how long you've allowed this to go on, it's going to depend on how much you're going to have a part to play. You know, if you've basically abused your body to the point that, let, let's, say you ha- let's say you have diabetes, and you've just eaten whatever you want to eat, and and basically you're trying to control your diabetes with sugar, and now your sugar is up there in the threes, the fours, the five, six, seven hundreds, how much do you know? God's going to say, I will heal you of your diabetes, but you have to get your diet under control. You're going to have to quit eating the sugary things. You know, God might come to you and say, you're going to have to stop eating so many carbs. God might come to you and say you're going to have to stop eating so many or drinking so many uh, sugary, calorie-filled drinks. God might come to you and say, um, "Well, well, yeah, uh, I'll heal you, but you know that you, you know, you know that you live in a corrupted world, and um, because of that, there's such a thing as allergies. And uh, you went and got yourself a cat, knowing full well that you're allergic to them. And now, and, and we know that you love the cat. Uh, but uh, that cat's causing you your problem, and now you got to get rid of the cat. Okay, God. But I don't want to get rid of the cat. Can I go get an injection? Can I just take some pills? Now I'm not. Now, now I've had cats. I didn't know I was allergic. And 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you willfully win against God. You know, it's like. I don't know what the deal is. I have, I found out years ago I was allergic to shellfish, and I love shrimp. I mean, I can eat me some shrimp. I can put away some shrimp. I love shrimp. And then I found out that when I eat shrimp about three days later, I cannot breathe to the point that it lands me in the hospital for multiple days. So when I found that out, it was no longer an issue for me to to know, hey, you want some shrimp? Nope. Are you sure? Yep. I love them. They don't love me. I love breathing more. <laughs> I really like breathing more. And it was not a challenge for me at all. And it's been this way for years. But I don't like fish. I don't like fish. I don't like the taste of fish. I don't like the smell of fish. I don't like fish. Now my husband and my mom like fish, and I won't cook fish because I don't like it. Uh, And 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 God can get me to where I like it and what have you. we go to Pensacola once a year, and everybody wants to go eat at all the fish places. And I'm like, I'll have the chicken, please. I'll have, you know, give me the burger. And I'm like, I really want something different. So I started talking to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I know that fish are healthy for you. I know they've got omega-3s. That's good for you, especially as you get older. But I don't like the taste of fish. And, you know... My husband's been working on me to like fish. Will you just give me a taste for fish? So I've been developing a taste for fish. And all of the sudden, I have started craving shrimp. And I'm like, like, I look at a menu and I'm like, oh, my God, Jesus, that looks amazing. Somebody will get, get a plate full of shrimp. And I'm like, man, I sure would like to have one of those. And, uh. And and so now I'm, now I'm up against something. Now, uh, it's up to me to say, no, I can't eat that. It's my responsibility. Now, if I say, you know what, it's been a long time. Let's just test this. I'll just eat me four or five shrimp, and we'll just give this a test. We'll just test it. I mean, it's not a plate for us. It's just four or five. Surely that won't cause me a problem. And then I end up in the hospital. Whose fault is that? Mine. Mine. So that's my fault. You know? So so the Lord may so you may have some things that the Lord will say, um you know, you can't eat that. You can't eat that. You've got to put your flesh under. You gotta to learn to put your flesh under. So now I look at the menu and I go, Man, that looks really good. That'd be really nice. I sure am glad I like to breathe. I sure am glad I like to breathe. And I just say, Lord, I bet that tastes good. And that's all I say. Lord, I bet that tastes good. Well, I, I, I'm, glad I, I, I'm glad I like to breathe. Thank you, Jesus. You put breath in my lungs. And I start saying what God says instead of saying what the devil says. Because the devil says, it's been a long time. You know, sometimes I've had this thought come in my head. You know, sometimes you grow out of allergies. And you won't know if you've grown out of it or not if you never test it. Unless you know the devil's trying to kill me. <laughs> but it's my responsibility to tell him no. How'd y'all get me over there? Somebody's playing with their allergies. Quit doing that. Quit it. Stop it. If God told you to leave something alone, leave it alone. I don't even know where we are. Verse 7. Verse 8. Thank you, Jesus. And the Lord said. So He said. He said. Uh, they said. Moses, will you pray? <laughs> and it says. And Moses prayed for the people. Now does it say that Moses sat the people down and said, "Well, how's the curse working out for you? You liking it very much?" Did Moses say that? No. Did Moses? Did Moses condemn the people? No. Moses was moved with the love and the compassion of God, and Moses prayed. Moses prayed. Glory to God. He prayed. Verse 8, and the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent. Well, now that sounds weird. Serpents are my problem. Now, the first time I ever read this, I thought, what are you doing, Lord? You're telling them to, to he, you, you told Moses to make the serpent? The serpent was the problem in the garden. And now you're telling Moses to make a fiery serpent. This don't make a lot of sense to me. He said, make, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that as every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a, wait a minute, Lord. You want the people who are prone to idol worship, who, who it's their habit to worship golden structures. You want Moses to make a golden structure, stick it up on a pole, and have the people worship it. Does this sound like wisdom to you, God? I mean, this sounds like, God, you're leading them right into idol worship. No, what God was doing was God was meeting the people where they were. He was meeting them where they were. And it notice it says that he said, make a fiery serpent and set it where? On a pole. And then he said to do what with the pole? He said, and it shall come to pass that uh, everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, that that person shall live. That word live actually means that they shall be revived or they shall be quickened to life. Live or quickened to life. The serpent on a pole is a type and shadow of Jesus on the cross. Does that mean that Jesus is represented by the serpent? No. Sickness and disease is represented by the by the by the snurf, by the serpent. Sickness and disease was laid upon the man that was attached to the pole. This is why to this day even medically on our ambulances and hospitals and all that, to this day you'll see a serpent wrapped on a cross or wrapped on a pole Is it it takes us back to this right here. This is where this originated from. Is sickness and disease being lifted up on a pole. And this was a type and shadow of Jesus. Look at verse 9. And it says, And Moses made the serpent of brass, and put it on a pole and it came to pass that if the ser- if a serpent had bitten any man in other words it came to pass that if 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 sickness came upon a person if sickness came upon a person and if that happened and that person looked to that pole look at verse look at verse 9 it says and it came to pass if the, if any if if a serpent had bitten any man, if any sickness had bitten any man, grabbed a hold of any man, when that man beheld the serpent of brass, he lived or he was quickened to life. He was brought back to life. How much do you know Jesus was quickened to life? So in the same manner that Jesus was quickened in the New Testament, these people were all, this is a type and shadow, these people were quickened. In other words, the poison, the sickness failed to grab a hold and bring death, just like that now we're in Jesus. When we look at Jesus and we receive Him, we don't receive sick, we don't receive eternal death. We are quickened to life. Well, how does this get me healed? Well, if when sickness attacks or even before sickness attacks, if you will always keep your eyes on Jesus, if you will always keep your eyes on Jesus, uh, during healing school, we had a conversation about COVID COVID's not nearly what it was. It's not really much more than the flu anymore. Um, but there's a run of COVID going through the community right now and, and, People were, you know, we were talking about it, and I said, here's the deal. The blood of Jesus cleanses us and keeps us from COVID. We don't need to look at COVID. We don't need to look at diabetes. We don't need to look at any, you know, heart disease or aneurysms or uh, cartilage problems, bone problems, heart problems, mental problems, issue problems. Stop looking at the disease And start looking at the one that took the disease. Start looking at the one that carried the disease for you. Instead of looking at the sickness, look at the one that brought the healing. Brought the healing. Uh, many of you know my testimony. Um, I was in a car accident many years ago. I ended up, uh, several years later having to have a fusion in my back because I was bone on bone and the pain was so great that I just didn't have the faith for healing. Um, and I needed medical intervention and God met me where I was at. But the problem with the idea of the medical intervention was that, um, I, I can't do medication. I can't do painkillers. I can't do medicine. If they give me morphine, they'll kill me. Uh, So I was talking, I was like, how are we going to do this? Uh, You know, how are we going to get through this? Uh, Because it was a six-hour surgery, um, and they put two rods, four brackets, and eight screws, or eight, um, yeah, two rods, four braces, eight screws, and 16 spacer pins in my back. Uh, how much do you know that creates a lot of discomfort in the body? A lot of discomfort in the body. So I was like, Lord, how are we going to get through this? Because I can't, because essentially I can't take any medication. And uh, God, supernatural, you know, and so I, I had my healing scriptures, my 109 healing scriptures. And so uh, we went to go in the hospital and I had such severe anxiety just before, even before the surgery that when they were trying to prep me, because I couldn't even have a lot of the stuff that they give you, you know, they like to give you all that stuff ahead of time, make you forget and get you relaxed and get you easy, and I couldn't even have that. In fact, um, when they were getting me all prepped up, I had to tell, they said, what are you allergic to? And I said, all narcotics. And they said, "Uh, that's not an option in the computer. There's no possible way that everybody's allergic to all of them. And they said, oh, no, it is possible, and I am. And, uh, and, and so they had to go in there and they had to check each one off by hand. And, uh, and I had to make sure that they were tagged. And so I had this big orange bracelet and they had my file flagged 16 different ways. Cause I told them, I said, if you give me those narcotics, you're going to kill me. And, uh, so, so they had to flag everything 16 different ways. And, and, uh, I, I was having some serious anxiety, but I had 109 healing scriptures. And I had just gotten a new computer, so I didn't have teaching on my computer yet. And um, so we, we were getting re- they were getting me prepped, and I had Mom and Michael with me. I said, y'all just read the scriptures. What was I doing? I was putting my eyes on Jesus. And as long as they read the scriptures, I was calm. But as soon as they would stop to hand the paper over, you know, because after a while you get a dry mouth. And so they stopped to hand the paper to the other one so the other one could start reading. I'm like, hurry, hurry, hurry. And they're like, we're getting it Calm down. And uh, they came in, and they gave me a little bit of medicine. And I had Mom and Michael with me because they needed to watch over me. And the nurse came in, and they said, well, we're going to give you some Valium to help keep you calm and help get you relaxed beforehand. And, uh, and they, they jumped in, and they said, uh, wait, you're giving her what? And they said, it's a, it's a child's dose. It's a tiny little dose. I'm going to watch her as soon as I see that she's starting to, to respond. We're going to back off. And, uh, she, I mean, she basically got the, the needle in the IV and went, wow, she's a cheap date. And I was out. I was out. I was it. That was it. And uh, so I come up out of surgery. And um, come, I come right out of surgery. And, uh, and I, it, it was miraculous to everybody how alert I was. To this day, Michael's like. To this day, Michael even says it's unbelievable how just quick and sharp she was, uh, because I woke up going, "Don't let him give me anything. Don't let him give me anything. Don't let him." And I mean, and I was, I had nerves that had been pinched for 13 years that were no longer pinched. So I was having extreme electrical shocks in my back and down my legs to the point that the whole bed was shaking, and I was like, uh, "What? I can't do this." And uh, I told, I, so I said, y'all. I said, I, I, and so I called the nurse and I said, because I grew up around medical stuff and I know you get the pain medicine on board before all of the anesthesia wears off. And so I called him and I asked him. I said, this is this is rough. I said, what can I have? And they said, you can have morphine. And I looked right at the nurse and I said, uh, that'll kill me. I said, what else? She said, that's the only thing you can have. And I had enough sense. Now this is the power of God working. You have to understand, this is the power of God working. And I, so I asked her, I said, can I have a child's dose? And she kind of looked at me and snickered and said, well, if that's all you want, yeah, that's what we'll give you. And I said, can I have an infant's dose? And she really snickered then. And she said, well, I don't know what that's going to do for you, but if that's what you want, an infant's dose, that's what we'll get you. And I said, can I have half of that? And they said, yeah. We'll do a half of an infant's dose. I said, can I have a half of that? She said, well... If the pharmacy can figure out how to get it in a needle, that's what we'll get you. How much? That's a very tiny amount. Very tiny amount. And I said, well, I said I know I got to get ahead of this pain. This is the wisdom of God operating. So I know I got to get ahead of the pain. I said, "Uh, but we're in a hospital, right? She said, yeah, we're in a hospital. I said, you know how to save lives, right? She said, yeah. I said, from overdoses. She said, yeah. I said, "Okay, well, let's try the quarter of an infant's dose, and if it's too much, you better not let me die." That's what I told the nurse. Is it not what I told her mom? That's what I told the nurse. You better not let it let me die. So they came in. They brought me the quarter dose, the quarter of an infant's dose of medication, and that was around dinner time, the day of surgery. And at one o'clock in the afternoon, the next afternoon, the next day my blood pressure was still so low that they were legally not allowed to get me out of the bed because from a quarter, from a quarter of an infant's dose of morphine. And my doctor came in, because now you're at risk for blood clots, and my doctor came in the room and saw me in the bed and said, what is she still doing in the bed? I don't care what you have to do. Get her up. He said, maybe the pain will be bad enough to bring her pressure up high enough to get her up. And so they sat me up, and they took my blood pressure, and it was one point above what they needed to be able to legally get me out of the bed. One point above. Actually, it was a point below, but they did it anyways. Isn't that right? I believe so. It was actually a little below, but they got me up anyways. But, well, what does that do? We have your eyes on Jesus. Because up to that point, because if so, so I had six-hour surgery. I had a quarter dose of morphine. Uh, somewhere in the middle of the night, it had me in such hallucinations and anxiety that I tried to get out of the bed by myself, and Michael had to call the nurses and get them to come in there and calm me down. The only thing that kept me calm, the only thing that kept me, listen to me, kept me totally pain-free was my mother and my husband had to, at some point my dad even started doing it for me because he saw how it helped, uh, this is part of how he's now serving Jesus. This is part of what did it for him. As, is as long as they were reading the word of God, I was 100% pain-free. 100. What was I doing? I had my eyes on Jesus, and I refused to be moved. When they would stop reading the word, then all of a sudden I was surrounded by the snakes, and sickness would try to attack. I had to keep it before me. So Michael, so they they had been doing this for hours on end, and they were both hoarse, and they both could almost not talk anymore. That's when my dad kicked in, and he got to the point where he was hoarse and couldn't talk anymore. And so Michael, I had my computer, but I only had one sermon on my computer, and it was from Reverend Randy Greer. And it was on Jesus and the Fiery Serpent. Jesus and the fiery serpent. And the whole time Brother Randy, he, he was preaching, keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus, the whole sermon. By the time the week was over, I could just about preach the sermon better than he could. The other thing that they did, is Michael called a dear friend of ours, he called him who was working for another minister who happened to have a healing CD, a healing scripture CD, um, and this was before MP3s and all of that. He called him. Uh, He was out in Oklahoma. He called him and he he, he asked our friend, he said, listen, he said, I know you work for Reverend so-and-so, and and Reverend so-and-so has a healing scripture CD. Robbie's in the hospital. She can't take any pain medication at all. uh, Ann and I are doing nothing but reading her healing scriptures. It's the only thing that keeps her under control. Is there any way that you can send me a digital format of that cd so i can put it on her computer so she can play it because ann and i can't speak anymore and he said yes sir brother i'll get it right to you he said give me the email address i'll send it right to you so we had my computer in my room and we had and it alternated between brother randy sermon and larry hutton's healing uh, health food cd and it played nonstop in our room and i had my computer on full blast And the nurses would come in, and and they'd go to turn it down. I said, no, don't turn it down, because as soon as you turn it down, my my pain's going to shoot up. And I told my nurses, I'm sorry if that offends you, but it's the only thing keeping me under control. They said, no, actually, we like it. We were coming to ask you if we could keep your hospital door open. I said, keep it open. I don't care. Keep it open. You want to hear the Word of God? Keep it open. What What were we doing? We were keeping our eyes on Jesus. When you are facing sickness, when you're facing disease, when you're facing poverty, when you're facing a situation, don't reject and turn away from God and murmur against him. Instead, turn to him and put his word in your mouth and your ears. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Absolutely keep your eyes on him at all times. At all times. Keep your eyes on him. Don't let him get away from you. Turn over to Kings, or 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. Well, Pastor, there's a lot of healings in the Bible. This one's taking us a long time. There's so much good in this. If you can get this revelation to always keep your eyes on Jesus... Any you, Number one, if you will always keep your eyes in G, on Jesus, you will get to the point that sickness will never come knock at your door. And if you have sickness and you will keep your eyes on Jesus, it will bring health and healing to your body. So 2 Kings chapter 18, let's look here at uh, verse 4. This is just the scripture that refers back to this. And it says this, it's here he says, and he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it uh, Nehashinthin. In other words, they didn't just get rid of the serpent of the, on the pole. When they left that region, they kept that serpent, they kept that serpent on a pole. they kept Jesus before them, the Israelites, all through their travels, all through their time, or even into the period of the day of the kings. This was an evil king, uh, and he got rid of he got rid of every god but him. He got rid of the idolat gods, and he got rid of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the Father God, He got rid of everything. But we need to know and understand that that the Israelites, even into the day of the kings, in other words, they went from being under Moses, they went from their prime period of being under the judges, all the way to the time of the kings, these Israelites kept kept the representation of Jesus before them at all times. And that's what we have to do, is we've got to keep Jesus before us at all times. If you'll keep Jesus before you at all times, it'll bring health and healing. Now go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. This is Big John or Saint John. John chapter 3. Even John talked about the serpent on the pole, which is the representation of Jesus. John chapter 3. And he says this. Uh, in verse fourteen, John three fourteen. These are the words of Jesus. Actually, we'll read verse thirteen. It says, "Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever shall drinketh of, wa- of this water shall not thirst again." Oh, yeah, well, that's John four. Hold on. Let's say, wait a minute. That's the wrong thing. I'm sorry. These are the words of Jesus. Still, the words of Jesus. And uh, here, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again. Let's Actually, let's back up to verse 10 so we get the full picture. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus should have known what the Scripture said, especially the Old Testament. He said, uh, How do you not know these things? Verily, verily, which means truly, I'm telling you an infallible truth. I say unto thee, we speak... That we do, He said, uh, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. He said, we're telling you we've seen and you don't receive our witness. He says, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He said, I tell you things about the earth that's true and you don't believe me. How well, in the world are you going to believe me about spiritual things? He said, and no man, verse 13, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that cometh down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, look at what he said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. In other words, Jesus equated himself to the serpent on the pole. And he said this in verse fifteen. He said, Whatsoever believeth him, or I'm sorry, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever but should have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Well, now we know John three sixteen, but did you know that John three sixteen was connected to the serpent on the pole? Look at this. He said, and whosoever believeth in him, he said in verse 14, and, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, colon, colon, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Might be saved. In other words, that he that, who that, 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 that shall ever believe in Jesus shall be sozo, shall be made perfectly whole, shall be quickened to life. We, just like we receive salvation, we need to receive healing. When we, when, when sickness comes, you know, how much do you know the, the biggest sickness you will ever face is eternal death from God? That's the biggest sickness you will ever face is eternal separation from God. And if Jesus has healed you from eternal death, why will he not heal you from the flu? Why will he not heal you from COVID? Why will he not heal you from diabetes? Why will he not heal you from heart disease? Why will he not heal you from obesity? Why will he not heal you from glaucoma? Why will he not heal you from mental disease? Why will he not heal anything in your body that ails you? He will. But you have to receive him as healer. And how you receive him as healer is you keep your eyes on him at all times. And you don't speak against God. You don't speak against God. Glory to God. Well, I think we've uh, established that uh, it's a wonderful thing to be healed by Jesus and to keep our eyes on him. I mean, honestly, you can get get healed from any sickness, disease in your life if you'll just stand on this one principle alone right here. Just this one right here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, really, uh, if you stop and you think about it, if you, if you truly stop and think about it, because um, he said, and it all has to do with snakes, if you think about it, when Jesus allowed himself to be hung on that cross, really what Jesus was allowing is he was, being allow- he was allowing uh, the power of Satan to be nailed to the cross through his physical body. Basically, he was saying, nah, Satan, you ain't got no more power. You ain't got no more authority over them. None. None whatsoever. Glory to God. Well, I'm going to stop right here. Well, yeah, I'm going to stop right here. Next week, we've got one more healing in the, in, in the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books. Um, there's only one more, but I'm not going to go into it tonight. It'll be a real short one. And then we'll go look, and then we'll begin our series on the rest of the uh, of the New Testament healings, um, and uh, we'll look at some in Judges and some other places. Uh, but praise God, God's our healer, He's our divine King. If you're facing any type of sickness, disease in your body, if you've got any types of evil reports, just tell the doctor you've got a higher report, because uh, though you're thankful for His wisdom and for His or Her wisdom and knowledge, and you'll do what they tell you to do, Uh, but praise God, you've got a higher report, you've got a greater physician, you've you've got a physician that's already taken your sickness and disease for you, and he took it on the pole, and so Father, we thank you for that, Father, we give you glory and honor, we give you praise, we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name, Uh, if you've got tithes or offerings to give tonight, um, I tell you how we're going to do this tonight is uh, we're just going to Zach, if you'll just set the offering plate in the back for me. Uh, we're going to go ahead and bless your tithes and your offerings, uh, but we're just—he's going to have the tithe, the tithing dish will be right back there on the rail, and you can just drop your tithe and your offering in there. Uh, we're just going to do it a little differently tonight, and uh, and uh, we just thank the Lord for that. And uh, so let me just pray over it and bless it. And so, Father, we come to you tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Uh, We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and your mercy. If you're giving online, the the directions are on the screen. I just need to remind you of that. But, Father, I thank you for reminding me to remind the people. And so, Father, I thank you. Oh, we thank you for all your love. We thank you for all your mercy. We thank you that Jesus took every sickness and every disease. That he took the curse for us. He took the curse for us. And, Father, we're so thankful that he did. And so, Father, we look to Jesus. We look to that serpent, on the representation of the serpent on the pole. We look to the great physician. We look to the healer. We look to Jehovah Rapha. And, Father, we refuse to let our eyes be moved off of him. And, Father, we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. And, Father, as we sow a tithe, as we sow an offering, we thank you for your goodness, your love, and your mercy. Father, we glorify you and we praise you and we honor you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And, Father, we just thank you that your word is true, your word is working, and that increase comes in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Like I said, you can drop your tithe and your offering off in the